Hey guys, I'm Shay, a three-winged two on the Enneagram that finds her home in Atlanta, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to create an ongoing conversation about the tensions of following Jesus in today's culture. Join me and many others as we have conversations that challenge and inspire us to follow Jesus in our day and age. This is Just Shayin'. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Just Shayin'. And I love this because it's an, it's an interview that I've always wanted to do, but it literally came in the middle of quarantine and it's like, hey, we got lots of free time, let's do this. And uh, so I'm really excited to have, uh, I feel like there's so many things I could call Leif Hetland, but he is the founder and president of Global Mission Awareness. He's the author of probably many bestsellers, but this, the special, special one to the world is Healing the Orphan Spirit. I'm sure there's plenty, plenty of stories he could share because he probably had to conquer the orphan spirit inside of himself to get that book. Uh, and what I, something that I love dear is that he is a huge influence in the Muslim world. Um, he's seen over 1 million people saved through his ministry, and he is known as the ambassador of love. And I feel like I need to have, like, I don't know, like some kind of royal approach to introducing him. But truly, he's just, he's a three like me, so you're probably going to hear a lot of our threeness come out. Um, so if you're a four, we bless you just to sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy the ride. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on and just having a chat with me. No, it's my joy. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm, I'm excited just to have something to do in the <laughs> middle of this hard, hard season of rest. Yeah. The, the, I, I, so I, at least I feel I accomplished something today. <laughs> Right, we can we can check something off of that. I did something with my day today. Yeah, but, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so yeah. Thanks for coming on. I I've been really trying to go, Laura. What would you have us talk about? Because I really believe that you are just a deep well of wisdom, um, and just because of your story, because of your experiences, and just your. Um, Honestly, I would just say like you have lots of wisdom from the fiery furnaces that you've allowed yourself to live in and the tension with the father, knowing and truly trusting that he is good in the middle of it all. So I would love for you just to share a little bit about um, just, um, I, you know, we can say that's a bestseller, you know, uh, healing the orphan spirit, but I'm like, there has to be a story there of some sort, like you don't just wake up one day and have a book to write, you live a book. So I would love for you to yeah. share just a little bit, if you would like, about um, your own journey at, at conquering that orphan spirit that honestly is in all of us. And I think that's the first step is just admitting that it's there. <laughs> yeah, I can probably go back just to give a little bit of my background. Sure. I'm from the country of Norway. So that's why people can hear that I have an accent. Uh, and uh, but so even even from I was very very young I realized probably I was nine years old it's one of the first time I started experiencing some insecurity when we moved from one city to another city and uh, it was a very tough transition I had four siblings that was younger than me a sister that was older so the parents were busy and just kind of tried to get brand new friends and everything else so I think that started something where I recognized just some of the insecurity. Uh, when I was 12 years old, there was an abuse that took place uh, 
outside. It was not in a family that because of that shame came in. So I think the two things is fear and shame was two things. Actually, I, I came into this world full of fear because my mom had a surgery while she carried me and she didn't know she was pregnant. So I realized, I didn't realize that subconsciously fear and shame, which is often also connected to the orphan heart, the orphan spirit was already part of my life. But then when you have pain in your life as a 12 year old, pain seeks pleasure. And that started me on the journey pretty much to be a prodigal son because you're going to do something to medicate that pain that seeks pleasure. And for me, I ended up in different addiction and primary uh, drug addiction, drinking uh, and drugs. And that went through about a five year period of time there. I went so far away from love that I could be. And when I was 18 years old, I was a suicidal drug addict. I'd just been kicked out of a boarding school, came from a godly family and everything else, but I was totally messed up and didn't have much hope, much future. Uh, I did meet Jesus. I say that's the good news. And but the bad news was after I met Jesus, he saved me, healed me, delivered me. I went from rebellion to religion. And now in the next moment, I started after everything that Jesus has done for me, I'm going to serve him. And of course, I'm a three, two, which is very, very good. So as an achiever now, if I do these things, then I will have, then I will become. Because that's the whole orphan heart. I do, then I have, then I become. So I got involved in ministry. I got involved in Bible college, seminary. When I pastor, our church had to be the fastest growing church. And I still remember I, I was pastoring Sunnis Baptist Church. And my dream was to see us be the fastest growing Baptist church in Norway, which doesn't mean a whole lot. But we, we made it one year. But the next year, we got second place. And you can feel the pain as somebody was better than you. And living with that pain, didn't realize major, major orphan heart. Because orphans, they compete when one another, while sons and daughters, they complete one another. And so it's that whole different. So, so, so I, I didn't realize that I had a black hole in my soul. And when I don't do enough, my wife don't do enough, my children don't do enough, nobody else does enough in the church. So that, that very root was so clear. Make that story short, I met Randy Clark, June 6, 1995, through a powerful encounter. And that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. And it totally changed me because now I'm an orphan with power, with dynamites. So now you suddenly starts to blow up things. And through the next five years, I went through what we call success in many different ways. I'd seen about a half a million people saved, been to 54 countries, but still on the inside, driven orphan. And But because I had a I was in top physical shape before, but first I broke my neck. Later on, I broke my back, ended up in a body cast, 12 surgeries. And through that whole season, eventually I ended up not being able to do anything any longer. Being a three, being an orphan, getting my value based upon what I do, when you're not able to be a husband, you're not able to be a father, you're not able to be a leader, you're not able to do anything any longer and you are totally broken. And all of that was in year 2000, that God set me up for this incredible encounter. Uh, I call it my baptism of love experience that happened in Melbourne, Florida, where this liquid love came in and dealt with the deepest root area. Visit me while I was in my mother's womb. The love touched the nine-year-old, the 12-year-old, and just waves and waves of love just went through my life until I had the affirmation of the Father. And the very thing that we are looking for as trees is hearing the word well done.
well done. I'm still having that. That is the very rude issue in regard to the orphan heart for a three is just to be able to hear the word well done. And the father just spoke to me. You are my beloved son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Well done. Not based upon what I was doing, but who I was. So that started my journey 20 years ago. And that's when I started to talk about the orphan spirit because I had lived with one for so long. And I recognized again the orphan tendency in me. And as a result of that, started to develop to help other people to find a blessing, sonship, daughtership, because whom the son set free is free indeed. I just wanted to be free and then free people sets people free. So that's kind of a little short <laughs> background on my journey to how that book and that message came about. No, I love that because I feel like it's, I mean, obviously everything that we read in the Bible <clears throat> is relevant for today. And I think it's it's the prodigal son. I keep thinking of Peter. I'm like, I feel like Peter would be a three. Peter would be like, just tell me I did it right, man. Just, you know, and it is just, it's it's that wrestling of the orphans in all of us and how it manifests may look different. But the core is we just want to know that we belong. We want to know that we don't have to work for it, um, but that he really did accomplish it. Like, and that's that struggle because the culture is telling us work for it, earn it. You have to earn it. You have to earn this. You have to do this. But the kingdom is so upside down that it literally like, it's just upside down that it shakes you. And, and I love it because it's confronting, but it's so comforting because I know for you in this season, I'm sure rest is hard work as it is for me. But in that rest, I'm finding so much belonging. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Can I live here? Like, this would be great. Like, this mindset, this um, triune shalom. Like, my mind feels at peace. My body feels at rest. My heart feels at rest. Uh, and so it's like work for us to get here. <laughs> I feel yes. like it's just so, so beautiful. And, um, and, but it's, it's hard work because I wake up maybe much like you, like, okay, I need to do this. I got projects. I got people. And it's like, okay, calm that down. Calm that down and just sit. Is there any, anything as far as like habits um, or just like routines in your life that you are, whether you're learning that in this season or just in your life, as someone who is a huge visionary, huge, you know, traveling, things like that. Is there rhythms that you're finding that help you uh, maintain uh, rest and solitude? Yeah, I, I think that I'm not doing a very good job at it, to be honest, uh, in a sense. So it is, it is things that, uh, yeah, I definitely have to work on. I still remember when I turned 50, that was four years ago, uh, and I had a lot of health issues because, I'm constantly gone 240 days around the world in the front line of battles. And, and I can work 24 hours a day uh, running a couple of ministry, a business, you write, you travel, going all over the world, solving different issues. Uh, but I still remember one day we ended up in Malaysia and I was whining instead of shining because I had another infection and I'd had some pneumonia before and then I had bronchitis and then that 
gave me some kind of a fungal infection. It was like issue after issue. And finally, I was like, I've had enough of this. And I ended up in a hospital and came out of the hospital full of medication again. And I'm just hurrying over to the next meeting where we're doing one of our kingdom family gathering. And, oh, I have to do this again. You have to be the one that speaks there and then meeting with our leaders. And while you're not feeling good. So I came to my room exhausted at night and just kind of complained a little bit. And then I heard the Lord says, Leif, you have not kept the Sabbath. You have not kept the Sabbath. And it just hit me. And I automatically went back as a three and says, that's law. And the Holy Spirit said, no, that's love. That's love. And it was just this big shift for me when I realized that it is not the love of law, but a law of love. That's me loving God loving myself and loving people. So we now are more intentional, and especially in this season, I feel this is a very long Sabbath, but I'm realizing it's, uh, I have a very nice car outside. That's one of the hobbies I, I enjoy. And, but I've realized my car, I take the time to clean the car and making sure there's oil. I put the best gas in the car. I do everything with car. And I had gauges on the car to measure how everything is with the car. And I just realized if the car is valuable to me, which it doesn't have a whole lot of value, how much more valuable am I to God? And you have to be value and value attracts value. So I realized I'm just devaluing myself in so many different areas. So I just started to have to find some gauges, even emotionally speaking, because the weapon of the enemy is number one is fatigue, fatigue. And when fatigue comes in, then he pushes the button of fear. And when fear comes there, you don't see the world the way it is. If fear is false evidence is appearing real fear so then when fear comes in then failure and then forsaken so fatigue fear failure forsaken so the enemy isolates you and now it is you against the enemy so i've realized one of the most important thing is not my time management but my energy management because whatever i'm focusing on is also where my energy goes so I, I have to put some gauges that I have in my life to see where's my emotional tank. What do I do that recharges my emotional tank? And what is actually an expense, even in regard to the people that I, do I spend time or invest time? And that has become very important as part of loving myself the way that Papa God loves me. Because I was very good at loving God because of the baptism of love. And I love the world. I'm a lover. And as an ambassador, I love going all over the world sharing love. But what I've not been very good at is loving myself. So I have some of these gauges. And Sabbath is a very good day if you take one day and you check on your fuel. How, how much gas do you have? Where's the oil right now? Do you need a little tuna? Do you need a little wash? So having one day a week, three days a month, one week every quarter to be able to just tune in, checking all the gauges, making sure that from that place that you're dealing with, with the different things that is taking place. And, and especially for me, I, I, I do a lot of heart check, just checking my heart uh, because out of it, all life starts to flow. So yeah, I do have a couple of tools of gauges and then I'm trying to find out also what is required of me that only I can do. What is the return and what is the reward? So what is required? And I realized that there's very few things that God requires from me. And often I say yes to a lot of other things that is not required. And then I start to burn flesh instead of oil because my anointing rests upon my assignment, not what I'm not called to do. So, uh, and then I, it starts to smell. So anyway, so yeah, I do have some tools. <laughs>
I love that uh, you were talking about like you'll start to burn the flesh instead of oil. And I feel like it's such a prime time to get fresh oil in this season, but it would be easy for the worker bees and those people to just burn out the flesh and say, I'm going to work, work, work. This is a great time to work, work, work. And for me, as a worker bee per se, like I really find this challenge to be like, no, there's fresh oil. There's fresh oil in this season. And man, I, I, there's like so many things that I, I, that just really resound with me. And I think, I think at this point being in quarantine, I think it resounds with every human, not just threes. This, this thing of where's our attention? And like all the things that were so distracting have kind of dwindled and we're sitting with ourselves going, what have we been doing this whole time? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what are we finding purpose in that's actually not purpose? It's just drawing our attention and saying, hey, put your attention over here. Put your attention over here. When really, like God is like, actually, I'm over here. Mm-hmm. And the challenge for any human to see that right now is very prevalent and very real. Um, I would love to hear, just because I've always wanted to talk to you about this. I even told Kaylee. I'm like, I really want to hear about this. Um, as far as just uh, people around you um, and people that know you, people that have that ability to say, hey, Leif, um, are you okay? I really sense that this may be going on. And How do you handle that in the midst of running hard when you are running hard? And, and how do you navigate who sits really close to your heart in, in seasonal changes? Now, I think that for me, because it's been a big transition because I'm in the middle, I think we always are in transition. But for me, I, I had a couple of people very close in my life that was covenantal friends. And then I lost in, and that was part of the morning. I didn't realize the grief I was going through. But my Jonathan, what Jonathan was to David, and I think we all need covenantal friendship. But his name was Todd Bevan. He traveled with me all over the world. Everything we did, we did together. We were, we, we were as I say, I was a spiritual father to him, but we were best friends. And then he died. So I spent two years fighting for his cancer. And then when he died of cancer, I didn't realize that the next years that when you're losing, when you have a death in your life, it is more like an amputee. You lost a limb. And the first part of grief is you're bleeding to death. Second of all, you're learning how to live without the limb. You don't get over it. And you never get over it. It doesn't have to be a handicap later on. And then the same also yesterday, it was not a friend. It was three years since he died. So within a short period of time, the system I had in place of accountability of people that could kind of look at my gauges and see how I was doing just disappeared. And then the pain, if you're going to involve other people like Jesus had a John and then the next circle of Peter, James, John, but that close inner circle is very difficult because when you have loved very deep and when you have losses, the pain is very deep and the mourning you go through. So it's just been more in the last six months to, to the last year, including David Wagner is one that I know you're going to talk to. But I've just started inviting a few people more close into myself that can ask the difficult questions. And uh, I have a, a friend here in town. His name is Greg Haswell that has also become one of those covenant friends. So intentionally we go there and it's not much about sin management, but it's about glory management. But that doesn't mean we do not check uh, area, but our focus is there is greatness in us. We are making sure that we are finishing well, that we are 
uh, and then we are dealing with different things that bumps in the roads or different things that we need to take care of. So I'm very grateful that I have a few friends in my life and I'm starting to open up a little bit more to have accountability because it's very difficult, especially when you have a public platform, you're constantly out there. But the God now that I've given the permission because it's painful, because if you're going to have a John in your life, you also often end up with a Judas in your life. And a lot of people, we were like a John without a Judas. So the pain also, the betrayal, when you start to trust on that level, uh, it's easy to want to remove away people from you, but then in the next moment, you become very vulnerable. So I have chosen that I'm not going to go by myself. I'm not doing it alone. And I'm bringing people close into me, and I'm willing to live with a with loss. And if you live with loss, you can also be entrusted with gain. You have to live with disappointment, discouragements, and all of those things. That is part of, including like in marriage or in any other relationship, that a covenantal relationship is very, very painful. It's raw, it's real, but you need to have that in your life. And I'd rather have that than not having it. So yeah, I, I, I'm intentional about, and it's been hard now in quarantine because I've not been able to meet some of them. We talk on the phone, but it's not the same as giving a hug and looking face to face and, and connecting on a different level. Yeah, I love that because I I think for me, because I do, like I, I think that's the big culture. I think whether it's, you know, even some church culture, kind of you kind of have this view that, okay, these people look like they're running alone. And but like Jesus even had 12. Like if there was anybody that was gonna run alone, it could have been him. But still he let people in. And and I just I love hearing about it because I don't feel like I feel like culture is saying do do your thing, you know, and like don't do it in the context of family. And I love that's something that's huge in your heart is have do it with family, do it with kingdom family. Like no person can go near as far solo as they could with others. And I know that's something that you just champion very well with global mission awareness and just you do kingdom family gatherings. And and it's this whole idea of, you know, the new move, if we want to call it, I don't, I don't even know how much I really think it's a new move. I think it's always been the kingdom move is to do it in tribes, do it in family, do it in the context of investing yourself. And, and being living vulnerable with people, vulnerable enough that transformation could actually happen instead of just being vulnerable for the sake of vulnerability. Um, yeah. So I, I would love, like, I, I just love the way that I guess you live it. And I think it's a huge testimony for people that, you know, although like there's lots of times you may travel alone, there's people that are, you know, that you are connected to and running with and that you pour into people. I mean, you have spiritual sons and daughters that you're pouring into duplicating yourself. And I do, I think it's discipleship, you know? And I think also the important thing for people at least to know that pretty much every day I call my natural parents, my mom and dad in Norway. And also pretty much every day I talk to Jack Taylor, who's my spiritual father and, and Frida. So I intentionally making sure that I live with sonship. So I connect with my heavenly father, but also I connect to my natural father and my spiritual father on a daily basis. The second thing I also then, I have covenant friendship, but also sons and daughters that, and many of them are fathering me in a sense. So we, so I do have a one, I have three, I have 12, I have 54, and then we have a whole movement out of that. So it's pretty much every day I wake up in the morning and 
we are connecting and going through things together, going through the pain, losses, like Paul Yaro is one of my closest. He will be like John to Jesus and my Filipino son. But just a little over a week ago, in the middle of the quarantine, he, he lost his mom. So you go through the grief and the pain because he couldn't be there with his mom when she was dying. And then he had his 50th birthday. We're going to have a big celebration in the Philippines. And, and then you go through the pain. So, so you live with those pain. So it's every day I also feel that. And then I get the pleasure, the breakthroughs. Uh, so, so you have all the tension, both with your natural children, but also with your spiritual children. So uh, there's no doubt about it. I probably spend half of my time, I would say four, five, six hours a day on the relational element of, of, of just both being a father for our kingdom family movement, but also connecting with other ones that I'm in covenant with. And, uh, but that's, uh, I wouldn't be who I am if it was not for the family. Each one of them are making me greater than I am, including like Kaylee here in the office, the different people that God has placed around me. It's just, it's such a gift from heaven. So I love that. I love that. I kind of want to like, like kind of pick your brain on this for a second, but I love what you said about how you wake up and, and you like, essentially you are intentional with your sonship. Cause I think sometimes what happens in this whole spiritual son spiritual father dynamic that lots of people don't realize like you get you when someone is that to you like you get to live out your sonship like i'm gonna call i'm gonna i'm not gonna sit back and be passive and wait for them to have some holy ghost moment to call me if they're calling me family i'm gonna call and check in I'm going to like where it's too working at it instead of sometimes that orphan spirit can be really sneaky and tell you like sit back and wait for them to call you sit back and wait for them to pursue you when they already gave their availability to you. And so I would love how like I don't I just like I think it's something that I think people are trying to learn is this this spiritual son spiritual daughter with a spiritual parent but what I love is that you are a spiritual father but also your spiritual son. And you're like, I'm still like, I'm still practicing my sonship. I'm still making myself available. Cause I think it's something that you never graduate. <laughs> no, I think, I think I've studied previous movement and because I knew when God 20 years ago entrusted when I became a son uh, in year 2000 and had a baptism of love and, and Papa Jack became my spiritual father. And, and I have a couple of other fathers in my life, but he became my spiritual papa. And, but it took me five years before I intentional because what I thought I needed was a father instead of I needed to be a son. And that was a big parent. That took five years. So I realized in the next moment, because then you put an expectations towards him that leads to disappointment of what kind of a father he was going to be to me instead of what kind of a son I was going to be to him. And when that shifted, something also shifted. So I was such a son to Papa Jack that taught him to father me, that taught me to father people. But my whole focus was my sonship. And that has been something now for all these years that has been very intentional. And then also I'm safe. And I remember I talked to a man named Bob Mumford that some of the older people will know, but it was something called the shepherding movement with Derek Prince and Bob Mumford. It was this huge thing all over the world, but it became more a control thing that fathers and, and, and some of the people that remember that, especially in the 70s, one of the biggest movement in the world, but it ended up with abuse, uh, with a lot of father abuse. And it was not them. It was kind of a dear sons again that, started with control and manipulation. 
But I asked Bob Mumford, I said, how did some of these things happen? And he said, we, we were all fathers, but we were not sons. And, and I realized just something hit me at that moment. And I said, I realized that you can be safe with me if I'm focusing on being a son. Jesus was such a son to his father that he was called an everlasting father and a prince of peace. So the question is, who do you say that I am, Simon? Who does the world say that I am? And then eventually it came back where Simon got a father revelation. You are Christ, meaning the anointed. You are the son, son, son of the living God. So the special sauce of Jesus is he is an anointed son. He's an anointed son. And Jesus said, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. That kind of a revelation you could have only got from Papa. But now when you know who I am, you can know who you are. You're no longer going to be Simon. You're going to be Peter. And up on this rock, up on what rock? Up on the identity of being an anointed son, an anointed daughter. He's going to build a church. The gates of hell will not prevail against. And he gives us keys of the kingdom. And that became so dramatic for me that my focus that of all the titles, I can be an ambassador of love and I have all these awards in my office and I can uh, be an author. I can be a husband of father. But the, the ultimate thing is, oh, my gravestone, I want to be that Leif was a beloved son. He was an anointed son. Because that's what Jesus had. So, because who Jesus is to you is always who Jesus would be through you. And sons and daughters becomes then friends, and then you become fathers and mothers. But my focus on you at that moment, and Bob Mumford helped me a lot, is as long as I'm focusing on just being a son, I'm healthy. A son with a dove. And then out of that, you become friends. And out of friendship, you can father and you can do a lot of other things. So I say if you have sonship, you can have apostleship, leadership, relationship, friendship, and all kinds of ships. But if the sonship doesn't go in the front, you will have shipwrecks. What I loved about something that you said in sonship and, and spiritual fathering and all of that was just that, you know, sometimes if we don't know our own sonship, if we don't know who we are and that orphan thing lives in us, we will live waiting passively for somebody to pick us. But the opposite of that is when you kind of know who you are and, and somebody makes themselves available, you actually start to see at least for me in my own life, I started to see that I've actually always had a father of some sort, a mother of some sort that God placed there. But it was my view of it that really messed it up. And it's this, this interesting, I think it's very, I don't even like the word necessarily re relevant, but I think it's super relevant just culturally for our generation is because we think I'm waiting for someone to pick me, to see the anointing on me, to see uh, all, you know, this formulated thing of like, yay, they see me. But when you know who you are, like you start seeing, wait, there's a pool of people of wisdom that I can pull from. Mm. And it's just a completely game changer. The way that you said that, I feel like is just so, like I literally felt like Holy Spirit be like, that is, that was a mind shift that I'm even living out right now. Mm. The way that you said that was just when Jesus knew who he was and he knew he had access to the father and yeah. he didn't sit around waiting for the father. Like, like he just knew he had it. Mm. And it's yeah, so and, mind blowing. And, and it was also that where Simon then when Simon captured, because that's when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? First is, who does the world say that I am, but who do you say? And when Simon got that father revelation, he went from being a Simon to becoming a Peter. 
It became a rock. And each one of us would go from an orphan to be a son. The name Simon is an orphan way. Peter is rock. This is unshakable. Upon this rock, upon the rock of being an anointed son, anointed daughter, upon this rock, I'm going to build a church, a family, a community that nothing I can stand against. So this is the unshakable place. That was the secret sauce in the life of Jesus. This was the very thing that if you want to smell Jesus, what of all the titles of everything about you, if you were to say, what is the special sauce of Jesus? And then Simon get it from the Father, because that's the only true revelation is what you get from the Father. And say, wow, you are an anointed son. You are Christ, meaning the anointed. You are the son, son, son of the living God. Wow, Simon. <laughs> Simon Barjona. This kind of a revelation you could have only got from Papa. And now when you know who I am, you can know who you are. So you are no longer going to be an offer. You're going to be a son. And then upon this identity, I'm going to build everything. Everything flows from that. And that's uh, that, that has been, for the last 15 years, at least been, been life-changing for me. Yeah, and I... I... I, it is, uh, and it's like it's part of you thinks, uh, at least for me, I'm like, this is so simple. Why is it so hard to grasp? <laughs> right? But it's like, it's lifetimes, it's layers that he's like, okay, I want to deal with that layer. Or, you know, like you even mentioned at the beginning of just like you entered into this world with trauma. Mm. You entered in, not even, you know, you didn't know. And like he takes us back to those places and he redeems them. And he brings his love in and he fills it with so much love. And it's, it's, I love it because it makes God not, I don't want to say ooey gooey, but almost ooey gooey. Like he's just that much in love with us. Mm. He is love. Yeah. And so he's not the hindrance. I'm the hindrance. And so it, and I love that anytime I've seen you minister or anything, it's just, it's the invitation. Well, let, let's, let's ask for a baptism of love because perfect love casts out all that fear. Perfect love casts out that insecurity. Perfect love can, like it, it casts out that trauma because he comes in those deep places and he starts to rearrange our DNA that he's already, he sees it, but it's just this, it's we change, we transform and we begin to own like, this is how he sees me. Come on. It's so good. It's so simple, but it's so good. It's almost so simple. It's profound. You're like, really? Like, I don't have to work for this. I don't have to earn it. It just is. Come on. It just is. And I, I would love for you just to, I want to give you just time to like, I would love for you just to pray. However, mm. you feel Holy Spirit to just pray over people. Uh, and wherever that goes, like, I would just love to just jump in, jump into that baptismal of love and <laughs> release, release oil and whatever. If you don't mind, I would love to just jump into that. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm just, uh, I'm just getting that beautiful picture of the prodigal son. Uh, that he's kind of a struggling and wrestling and he's heading home. And the Bible just says that the father was looking. He was not looking away, but he was looking towards him. Then it says the father was full of compassion. Then it says that the father was running. Then the father was embracing. And then the father was kissing. And I thank you, Father, right now that you as a good, good papa is just looking at each one of us wherever we're at. And, uh, 
people are in quarantine and locked up in houses or with all of the different circumstances that we have a caring, loving father that is looking. It's like, where's my son? Where's my daughter? He's looking, he's looking, he's looking. And I thank you for that look of love, that look of love that changes everything. But we don't have to prove anything any longer because we get the approval by the look of the father. That's my son. That's my daughter whom I love and whom I am well pleased. We just even invite you now, Father, just to come and just embrace us and kiss us and with your compassion, just baptize us with that love. Let that perfect love just take away all fear. Oh, just let us get so rooted and grounded in love that we know how high, deep, and wide and long that love is. And we're stepping into the ocean of love, and it's a scary place because we feel like we get drowned in that perfect love. But that's when we found total freedom. It's like a fish in water, it becomes alive. An eagle in the sky, it becomes alive. When we are just going into that ocean of love, drowning in that perfect love of the Father. And I'm asking that that liquid love will touch the hidden core area in our life. Just remove away all shame. Move away all fear. Let a love just going in and take away all guilt. And let a liquid love just going in. And the very affirmation of the Father, when we have what I experienced in year 2000, that audible voice from heaven that says, you're mine. And you are my beloved. You're my beloved son. Or you're my beloved daughter. You're not just his, but you're his beloved. You're not just his beloved. You're his beloved son. Or you're his beloved daughter. You're not just his beloved son or his beloved daughter. He loves you and he is well pleased with you. Congratulations. You got an A plus before you take the exam. You're no longer going to live from pressure, but the father's pleasure. And I just ask for grace now for everyone that is listening to wake up in the morning to see your face, Papa, to hear your voice, to feel your love and experiencing your pleasure and living from that place of pleasure, knowing the Father is already well pleased with you. It's not about scoring or not scoring. It is out there playing ball and having fun, knowing it is Father's good pleasure to give his sons and daughters good gifts. So just, <laughs> just let these waves of love just continue through the day and wake up in the morning. Wow, knowing he's well pleased. Going to bed, knowing my father's well pleased with me. Not based upon what I do, but based upon who I am and who Christ is in me. Christ within me, that is the hope of glory around me. So I bless you in this season of upgrade in love. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> There's the rest. <laughs> so good. Mm. <laughs> so, so good. So good. I love I love it so much. And it's just such a good reset for me to hear, to listen to, and talk about. Um, so I deeply appreciate it. And thank you for not quitting because I think <laughs> it's not easy, but in times it feels easy to just be like, all right, I'm going to at least slow down <laughs> for paving the way um, in this message and in your own heart that you've actually lived it. And so I want to ask you a funny question. 
and then we can close this up. But uh, in this season, I know it's kind of quarantine season, so that may affect your answer. But um, I would love to know if in this season you could have any three people at your table, uh, dead or alive, mixture, doesn't matter. Uh, obviously, the Trinity's there. We'll just we'll, we'll clarify that. Um, but who would you have and why? Well, first, I, I'm thinking about a guy. His name is Hans Nielsen Hauge. I know a lot of people don't know who Hans Nielsen Hauge, but he's actually the true reformer of Norway who lived in the 18th century. Uh, and so when Norway was a third world country, uh, a farmer, a nobody, and then had an encounter and how that one person actually if you study the root of why Norway is what it is today with the fruit. Uh, so I've, I've been a student and I'm studying his life right now as a reformer of somebody to pay the price, spent his time in prison, died because of the horrific prison sentence of what he went through. The price that he paid so that we can play and that my country, Norway, is what it is today because of him. So I would have some great conversation with Hans Nielsen Hauge. And I think I would like to have Jimmy Fallon, another one, just because I, I needed some good laughter. Uh, I just love his personality. I love the spark. It's two totally, it's totally, totally different people. And then last week I talked to Alvida King and I've talked to some of the King's family here. I live in Atlanta. So I would like Martin Luther King because I remember she's sharing and I've talked to some of the King's family, some of the conversation that was there at the table when they grew up. And, and so I've had some of those table conversation kind of a burning in me. And some of the question I would ask young Martin Luther King when he's walking down those steps and you're looking both to the left and the right, and why are those shotgun homes there? And they were both black community, and some of the questions that he was asking at the time. So those are the three people that came to my mind. Three totally different people, and Hans Nielsen Hauge, who was a reformer in Norway, and anybody go online and study and, and find out about his life. Uh, according to my friend Bill Johnson, he says that it's the best reformer in the history. Uh, and uh, so the, the, he has two five favorite reformer. One is in the Bible and one is in history, and that is Hans Nielsen Hauge. And the, one of those heroes that nobody knows about. And then Martin Luther King. And then I would also have Jimmy Fallon, mainly just because I, I don't watch it that many times, but it's like I would love to hang around that guy just to have some fun. Yeah, I feel like Jimmy's that person where we're all like, he would be a great friend. Like, yeah, he, really like he would make me laugh. Yeah. Like he would be fun to hang out with. Uh, I love, I love that there's a reformer at your table because I feel like we're sitting in the middle of a reformation. So yeah. I love that you're digging into that. And it's such a, that, those are awesome. I'm going to go look him up because I'm like, I've yeah. never heard of him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. And I deeply, deeply appreciate it. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, and, a bless all. <laughs> yeah, and so everybody thank you guys for tuning in wherever you are keep your eyes on the road i highly doubt you're probably at work right now in a cubicle but we bless you in your homes and yeah may his face shine upon you guys today and be blessed <laughs>